0: Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 28. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you are not paying attention. Crazy, 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 crazy crazy yeah, these are crazy nights. Crazy times, crazy days, crazy mornings, crazy nights. Impeachment is here. Turkey is right now invading Syria and crushing our brave Kurdish allies. Our reckless president is crazy and becoming unhinged more and more by the day. Trump's recent Ukraine call was, quote, crazy and, quote, frightening. That's what the whistleblower wrote in a memo Describing the call, someone who was visibly shaken by it. These are crazy times, scary times, trying times. And when times get the craziest, it's often the time that we need music most of all. When I was in combat in Iraq, I needed an escape from all the craziness. And it was music that delivered. Always. When things get the toughest, That's often when we need music the most. When the bullets are flying, when the doctors are whispering, when the bills are piling up, when your body is hurting, when your heart is broken, it's music that can give you relief, motivation, perspective, healing. When you're angry, music can be your relief. It can be your antidote. It can be your medicine. It can be your outlet or your rally cry. When you're at your lowest, a three-minute song can be just enough of an escape to get you through that moment, through that day, through that year, through that presidency. Music can help keep us all sane right now, and it can speak to us and for us in ways that nothing else can. The history of America and politics is bathed in music. The lifeblood of organizing can be found in music. The time in history, every time in history, can be defined by the music. From Yankee Doodle, to Woody Guthrie's This Land Is Your Land, to We Shall Overcome. To Fortunate Son, to the Dixie Chicks, to System of a Down, to Gary Clark's This Land. Yankee Doodle was written around 1755 by a British Army surgeon named Dr. Richard Shuckberg. While the Army was campaigning in upper New York, and the British troops used to sing it to make fun of the American soldier, stereotyping them as a, as a Yankee simpleton who thought that he was stylish if he simply stuck a feather in his cap. But it later became popular among the Americans as a song of defiance. And they added verses to it that mocked the British troops and hailed General George Washington as the commander of the Continental Army. By 1781, Yankee Doodle had turned from being an insult into being a song of national pride. That's what music can do. John Fogarty, the legendary lead singer of Creedence Clearwater Revival, says he wrote Fortunate Son after seeing news coverage of the wedding of David Eisenhower and Julie Nixon. He wanted to protest the fact that not everyone would bear the burden of war in Vietnam. In 2014, the Library of Congress added Fortunate Son to the National Recording Registry for being, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Damn right. Music is the lifeblood of protest, of activism, of real politics, real change, and real America. Musicians have importantly, creatively, bravely pushed to make America better. Often at great personal costs. Remember the Dixie Chicks?
1: I thought I'd say something brand new and just say, just so you know, we're ashamed the President of the United States is from
0: And often, music can be the one thing that brings us together, especially in tough and traumatic times. Remember Whitney Houston in 1991 at the Super Bowl? Her epic rendition of the national anthem, came at a patriotic time, just after the start of the Persian Gulf War, Gulf War I. It was immediately released as a single, and then re-released after September 11th. And Whitney Houston donated all the proceeds to charity. Music can bring us together. It can pull us out of our homes, away from our phones, and into the community. And music can pull us all forward, together. That's what our guest in this episode has been doing for two decades. Mark Roberge is the thoughtful, sincere, brilliant, fun, tenacious lead singer of the massively successful band OAR. Together with his bandmates and childhood friends, Chris Kulos, Richard Ohn, Ben Gershman, and Jerry DePizzo, Mark Roberge has built one of the most successful bands of the last two decades. If you're an OAR fan, you're going to be in for a treat. If you're not, you're going to learn a lot. They've been successful because of what they put out, the records they've sold, the concerts they've sold out, the hits they've written. But more importantly, OAR is successful for the impact they've made for organizations and individuals of all kinds all over the world, from veterans coming home with PTSD to kids with cancer to music programs in schools to Habitat for Humanity to the Special Olympics. If you know them, you know why they're magic. If you don't, you'll probably realize you know their music. OAR has been all around you for the last two decades. On the radio, at sporting events, in commercials and movies, when you're outside... Often at a fun place, like a ball game or a beachfront boardwalk. They're kind of a soundtrack for summer, a soundtrack for family, a soundtrack for fun, and a soundtrack for America. But the song of America right now, the song that's ringing across the land, unfortunately, is not an uplifting OAR song. It's a sad song we're hearing in America right now. Not some happy EDM shit you play in the club at 2 a.m. when you're tripping your balls off. And this is not Smash Mouth. It's not even Nickelback. Now, despite what some may think, liking Nickelback is not an impeachable offense. And not even Donald Trump can destroy a good song. And you got to admit it, it's a good song. But to underscore just how crazy this time in America is, Nickelback, yes, Nickelback, is now part of the Ukrainian phone call and impeachment controversy. Maybe you missed it, but Trump shared a video on Twitter, soundtrack to a snippet of Nickelback's 2005 hit, Photograph. Trump's version of the music clip was altered to show Nickelback's lead singer, Chad Kroger, holding up a photo of Biden and his son Hunter with one of Hunter's business partners, which Trump tried to use against the Bidens. Now, the problem is that the song was not Trump's to use, and Twitter removed the video in response to a report by the copyright owner. According to the New York Times, Warner Music Group flagged the social media company about the issue. Now, Twitter removed his tweet for using a Nickelback song. But they didn't remove his racist retweets or his veiled calls for civil war or his attacks on elected officials like Elon Omar or other political adversaries. And in the end, Nickelback got the last laugh. The band saw a 569% increase in their downloads. It was a good day for Nickelback. But no, the sad song playing in America right now is not Nickelback. It's much worse than Nickelback, which I actually like. Yeah, I'll admit it. I like Nickelback. I like him even more now that they've made Trump take down using their song. But the music of America is much worse than that. It's not just bad, it's tragic. It's a terrible, heart wrenching country song swishing our guts around in the bottom of a whiskey bottle it's eric clapton's tears in heaven it's a tragic opera a gut-wrenching aria it's puccini's le Bohème. the music is playing in america the music is always playing there's a rhythm a beat a pace And lyrics to every time in American history. And like every other time of importance, the music is playing in America right now. We all just hope it's not the band on the deck of the Titanic playing nearer God to thee. There's a lot in America right now that's cause for concern. Lots of stories where attention must be paid. And a number of critical issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry. And right now, even more than angry, really, they should make you sad. After four weeks, GM is still on strike. Impeachment is here. Our president sold out the Kurds, leaving them to be slaughtered by the Turks who've now crossed the border into northern Syria. The Minnesota Twins collapsed again. The Jets, Bengals, and Dolphins haven't even won a game. But as we creep closer and closer to Halloween, October is looking scarier and scarier by the day. Every week since we've launched this show has gotten scarier and scarier, with more and more terrifying and troubling news being revealed by the minute. And before we get to our very fun and very interesting conversation with Mark Roberge, who's just about to kick off his solo tour and then OAR's big fall tour, there are some issues you need to know about or know more about that are impacting our country in critical ways. And the biggest story of all right now, just like last week and until further notice is impeachment. Well, perhaps the newest stickiest reason for impeachment.
2: Oh my God. Tell me this won't last forever.
0: As we covered in the last episode, impeachment is here, and it's here to stay. Trump's call with the Ukraine is now being fully revealed, and it clearly looks like he asked Ukrainian President Zelensky to investigate his political opponent in exchange for support from the U.S. It was a quid pro quo. It was awful, and it was impeachable. And then, beyond the call... It's now widely reported that he also asked the Australians to investigate Biden. And then, right out in the open, Trump asked the Chinese to do the same.
1: China should start an investigation into the Biden. Because what happened to China is just about as bad as what happened with, uh, with Ukraine.
0: America's enemies love seeing this kind of friendly fire. It's always good to remember that we're actually a nation at war right now or at least our military is at war, and our commander-in-chief is out there attacking our former vice president. I've started to use the new hashtag, our enemies are celebrating, because they are. And it's all piling up on Trump. Every day, more crazy shit is revealed, or Trump does more crazy shit that makes impeachment more and more likely. And where is General Jim Mattis? Well, Dan Lamont at the Washington Post reached out to General Mattis with regard to Trump's actions on Syria and Turkey, and he heard back. He asked the SecDef if he would speak on the issue. He declined with a, quote, no thanks. He said he stands on his resignation letter from last December. There it is. Mattis refusing to comment. Just when America needs him most, he's failing us. I think we're giving up on him at this point. And America is also giving up on Trump. It's all catching up with him faster and faster by the day. Support for an impeachment inquiry and voting to remove Trump from office is growing. There's a new Washington Post poll that said among U.S. adults, 58 percent support an impeachment inquiry and 49 percent support removal outright. And among political independents, 57 percent say Congress should begin an impeachment inquiry of Trump. Now, Trump's refusing to participate in the impeachment. The White House is declaring war on the impeachment inquiry, claiming it's just another effort to undo Trump's election. They announced that they would not cooperate with what they called an illegitimate effort to overturn the results of the 2016 election. So here we have another constitutional clash with far-reaching consequences. And Rudy Giuliani will be all up in it. The Washington Post has reported that Trump's attempt to pressure the leader of Ukraine followed a months-long fight inside the administration that sidelined national security officials and empowered political loyalists, including the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. And it was all to exploit the U.S. relationship with Kiev. Now, Rudy is out there, everywhere, all over the media, sounding not just like a bad song, but kind of like when you play a record backwards, only without the hidden message. Giuliani is doubling down in his defense of the president as both of them are now ensnared in this escalating impeachment probe. And he declared his new mission. Rudy Giuliani has a new mission. To disrupt the world.
1: Why are you the president's personal attorney? What is your personal mission? Wow. What's your mission?
0: To disrupt the world. That's Rudy Giuliani with Martha McCallum on Fox on Friday night. Crazy, right? Well, what happened on Saturday less than 24 hours later, is even crazier. Rudy Giuliani butt-dialed me. Yep. Let me say it again. Rudy Giuliani butt-dialed me. So on Saturday, I got back from the gym, had a good workout, did some Peloton, and I was really feeling good. I had the Army game on, and they were losing to Tulane, but it was a great game. The kids were out for a walk with their mom, and finally, I had about an hour to myself. I was scrolling on Instagram, as I often do, and I think I was actually posting a video from my interview from the last pod with Bradley Whitford, when something really shocking happened. I looked down at my phone, and it said, Rudy Giuliani is trying to FaceTime you. Just a few hours after I got a call from my cable company, uh, a few hours after I called my wife and called to check on my prescription, uh, I got a call from Amazon letting me know about a delivery. And then I got a FaceTime request from Rudy Giuliani. And then right after, he texted, accidentally dialed disregard. That's what it said. Accidentally dialed disregard. No caps, no punctuation. You can see it on my Twitter and Instagram. I didn't know what the hell to do. So I called some friends. I called my wife who was shopping with the kids and really couldn't talk. And then I texted him back. I texted him back and said, mm, okay. Then I did what just about anyone would do. I tweeted it just in case. I mean, this is what I tweeted. Um, So this happened. I don't know him personally. We only met once briefly in the green room at CNN a while back and we exchanged information like is often done in the green room. Maybe he saw my tweet the night before about him at the Yankees game. Needless to say, Rudy Giuliani is not a name I expected to pop up on my phone that day. Now, the night before, Friday, he had posted a photo of himself on Twitter at the Yankee game with his World Series ring, cheesily and proudly holding it up next to a guy with a Red Sox World Series ring. And at the time I tweeted about it, I wrote, gross, he betrayed our country and now he's betraying the Yankees too. I was baffled. I didn't know why he couldn't just leave the Yankees alone. I thought it was another sign of how selfish and out of touch he really is, but he FaceTimed me and I posted it. And then Rachel Maddow tweeted about it. The War Axe tweeted that I marked and a KGB hit team might be coming for me. General Mark Hurtling from CNN tweeted, ironic redundancy, butt dialed by an ass. Lots of folks on Twitter tried to speculate about why he called me. Maybe it was just a butt dial. Maybe he was pissed about my tweets the night before. Maybe he saw them and he was looking into his phone to see if I was the same guy he met at CNN once before. Maybe he was trying to call a different Paul, Paul Manafort. Maybe he tried to call Paul Manafort and call me instead. Who the hell knows? But it was weird and I had to share it. And after seeing confirmation that he could accidentally butt dial a dude who just criticized him in public, is it really hard to imagine him fucking up and calling the wrong foreign leader? If he accidentally butt-dialed me, what if he accidentally butt-dials the Iranians or the Russians or the North Koreans? Think about it. Needless to say, it was weird. And needless to say, Rudy is an angry dude right now, but for all the wrong reasons. And also this week, you know who's really angry and has a right to be? The Kurds. America has abandoned the Kurds. Again, alliances are very easy, but
1: you know, our alliances have taken advantage of us. If you look at how much money we spend on NATO and how much money countries from Europe, who are really a much bigger beneficiary than we are, okay, you know, they're, they're there and we're here, we're many miles away.
0: It's beyond tragic. Brett McGurk, the former presidential envoy who served under Bush, Trump, Obama, tweeted Bottom line, Trump tonight, after one call with a foreign leader, provided a gift to Russia, Iran, and ISIS. He's right. And you know who's been extremely silent? Our new Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper. Now, Esper's long been an underreported concern. We've covered his conflict of interest before on Angry Americans. A reminder, he also supported and enabled Trump snatching $3.6 billion from the Pentagon budget to pay for part of the border wall. So this is no surprise. But he didn't stand up for our troops or for our allies. He also didn't call Trump out on his ammunition lie. Nobody in government really has. Don't know what I'm referring to? You might have missed it. Check this out.
1: When I took over our military, we didn't have ammunition. I was told by a top general, maybe the top of them all, sir, I'm sorry, sir, we don't have ammunition. I said, I'll never let another president have that happen to him or her. We didn't have ammunition.
0: Trump keeps repeating this lie that our troops didn't have any ammunition. He pulls it out often now when he talks about the military. It's just another example of how he politicizes our troops. Is anybody in the media going to push him? Is anybody going to hold Esper or the others accountable for this lie? I doubt it. It's a total betrayal of our military, just like the abandoning of the Kurds is a total betrayal of them. The Kurds are a proud ally that shed blood alongside America's sons and daughters in the fight against ISIS. An ally that is now, right now, being left to be slaughtered by the Turks. It's a total betrayal. And of course, Trump can't just betray them. He has to add insult to injury and betrayal.
1: Now the Kurds are fighting for their land, just so you understand. They're fighting for their land. And as somebody wrote in a very, very powerful article today... They didn't help us in the Second World War. They didn't help us with Normandy, as an example. They mentioned names of different battles. They were there, but they're there to help us with their land.
0: Trump knows about as much about Normandy as he does about Vietnam. The Kurds can't cop out right now because of bone spurs. Just like tens of thousands of draftees who died in Vietnam not named Trump, the Kurds are in the line of fire. While Trump talks tough from behind a podium. We can only hope that one day it'll be from behind bars in a jail cell. He joked once, you know what we used to do to spies? Well, he should remember what they used to do to dictators in other countries. Because this will get worse fast. And President Mayhem has no idea what he's done in Syria. Blood is on his hands. And it's not just in Syria. Violence in Iraq is also accelerating, of course. Now this is a story you probably didn't see. There's been terrible violence in Iraq. The UN has called for an end to the violence after days of anti-government rallies left hundreds of people dead, mainly protesters and thousands wounded. <laughs> the demonstrations, which have evolved from initial calls for employment and better services to demanding the fall of the government, carried on in various neighborhoods all across Baghdad and southern Iraq as authorities struggled to agree on a response. Security forces broke up a mass rally in the east of Baghdad, an area I know well, where protesters faced volleys of tear gas and live rounds. The violent deadlock presents the conflict-scarred nation of Iraq with its most serious challenge since the defeat of the Islamic State two years ago. And it's just going to deepen the political crisis of a country still struggling with with multiple legacies and all the aftermath of the unfinished wars since our invasion in 2003. And during all of this, Trump was still tweeting. In the state dining room, under the George Healy portrait of Abraham Lincoln, President and Mrs. Trump posed for a photo with top military commanders and spouses before sitting down for dinner in the Blue Room. Yep, it's a perfect time to put out a photo of yourself with military leaders to imply they support you and that your latest move doesn't hurt our national security. A good leader would have had dinner with these people before making a decision on Syria, asking for their opinions. And a good leader would have kept it close press. The Iraqis aren't the only ones out of the news. Back here at home, so is the VA. When was the last time you heard about the VA? Been a while, right? Well, you'll hear about it here. And you'll hear about how now there's good reason to be angry about the VA yet again. The VA refunded $400 million in mistaken home loan fees. Leo Shane over at the Military Times said another great piece on this. Again, if you don't follow Leo Shane, do that, read his work. VA officials paid out more than $400 million in refunds of home loan funding fees after an Inspector General report found that tens of thousands of veterans were improperly tagged with extra costs when applying for loans.
2: Surprise, surprise, surprise.
0: The IG report released earlier this year found that at least 53,000 disabled veterans had been charged fees. Now, in a statement, VA Secretary Robert Wilkie said the effort stretched back as far as 20 years ago. And then he said, quote, our administration prioritized fixing the problems and paid veterans what they were owed.
1: Well, isn't that
0: special? A new Pew Research poll found that half of the people surveyed had a favorable view of the VA but that's not saying much. That's like being the fastest turtle or the skinniest offensive lineman. VA is still among the bottom in public perception of federal agencies. Just above ICE. Number one in public opinion with a 90% favorable rating, the U.S. Postal Service. Next was the National Park Service. Then NASA at 81. I love NASA. Who doesn't love NASA? The CDC came in next. Then the FBI... The Census Bureau, SSA, the CIA, Federal Reserve, HHS, EPA, IRS, down to 55% approval, Department of Justice, Veterans Affairs at 52, the Department of Education at 48, and ICE at 42. So the VA is just above ICE, but below the Census Bureau and NASA. So VA continues to have massive problems. It's one of the many issues that won't be addressed since our president will instead be focusing his fire on Adam Schiff or the Democrats or the media or Nickelback or everyone else who pisses him off. And the VA secretary, like so many in Washington, he wants credit for fixing a problem that he in part created and one that should have been avoided. Something that can't be avoided, the 2020 elections. Despite all the madness... It's still coming. And there are a few quick items of note. So Bernie Sanders had a heart attack. And now he says he plans to slow down his campaign after a recent heart attack. Outside of his home in Vermont, he came out in public for the first time in a week or so. And he told reporters that he had ignored the warning signs about his health. He said he's feeling good, getting some work done. But scaling back from doing four rallies a day, uh, I must confess that I was dumb. Uh, I was born, and thank God, that I have a lot of energy. Uh, and you know, during this campaign, I've been doing in some cases three or four rallies a day, running all over the state, Iowa and Hampshire, wherever. And yet, I, in the last month or two, uh, just was more fatigued than I usually have been. So. Uh, And I should have listened to those symptoms. I should have listened to those symptoms. So if there's any message that I hope we can get out there is that I want people to pay attention to their symptoms. Elizabeth Warren has also been in the news and standing by accounts of a pregnancy discrimination. She repeatedly told people on the 2020 campaign trail about how she was let go from her first teaching job when she was 22, after the school realized she was pregnant. But now, Warren's on the defense with her account after an interview from over a decade ago resurfaced in which she described the circumstances around her departure from the school in a different way. Now, conservative outlets have been attacking her on this and acquired meeting notes from the school board at the time showing her contract was extended. And the presidential hopeful is now trying to use her circumstances to highlight the stories of other women in the U.S. who faced gender-based discrimination. And here's a video she posted on Twitter.
1: When I was 22 years old, I had an experience that a lot of women will recognize. I had been promised a job for the next year, all hired and set to go. And then when they realized that I was pregnant, the job was given to someone else. Now this was a long time ago, but we know this kind of stuff still happens today. Sometimes subtly and frankly, sometimes not so subtly. So I get out and on the campaign trail, I tell my story. And I've asked other people to tell their stories as well. I think that's a good way to fight back.
0: So Warren's under attack. She's up in the front runners now, so it's going to happen. And she's fighting back. It seems like a winning issue for her. But attacks keep coming. And we'll see how she can hold up. And we'll see yet again next Tuesday. Get your popcorn ready. Get your popcorn ready. Yep, the next Democratic debate is coming in hot. Tuesday night, October 15th in Ohio on CNN. It's the biggest debate ever, but bigger is not always better. The Dems are set to take the stage in what is literally being called the biggest debate ever because the previous face-offs have been limited to 10 candidates on the stage at one time. So this is going to be 12 all on stage at the same time, which is an all-time record for a single presidential debate. It's like some kind of super battle royale ladder match of politics, And it'll be a crazy game of poker. Okay, so who's in? Who are the 12? Biden, Warren, Sanders, Harris, Buttigieg, O'Rourke, Castro, Booker, Klobuchar, Yang, Tom Steyer, the billionaire, and Tulsi Gabbard. So the stage is nearly the same as the last debate except for the additions of Tulsi Gabbard and Tom Steyer. Steyer's a very late addition to the crowded field, only launching his campaign early July after the first debate. Steyer nearly met the requirements for the last debate, but ended up off the stage with Gabbard, who was also close to qualifying. Now look, I think the whole Steyer thing is bullshit. The dude is a billionaire who's basically buying his way onto the stage. If you spend enough marketing money, you can get enough donations and make the stage. There's an algorithm that I'm sure somebody's created, or maybe Andrew Yang could create to break it all down, but I think Steyer has no place being up there, and I'm not a Democrat. Other folks that won't be up there, the seven candidates who did not make the cut, Michael Bennett, John Delaney, Tim Ryan, Marion Williamson, which is a real shame because that's always entertaining, Steve Bullock, Wayne Messam, if you forgot about him, he's the Florida mayor, and Joe Sestak, former Pennsylvania representative and admiral. The debate goes down in Westerville, Ohio, on the campus of Oderbein University, a private Methodist university with just under 2,500 undergraduates enrolled. Westerville is just north of Ohio's capital city, Columbus. It's biggest city, and it's the second biggest city in the entire Midwest. It's also where Mark Roberge and OAR came together. But it also straddles the line between Franklin and Delaware counties. Now, this is interesting. In 2016, Franklin County was one of seven Ohio counties out of 88 counties total that went for Hillary Clinton, but she won it by over 100,000 votes. President Trump won Delaware County, which had much lower raw turnout numbers by just over 15,000 votes. So they're going to sit right between the two counties that were split between Trump and Clinton. The moderators will be CNN anchors Anderson Cooper and Aaron Burnett and New York Times national editor Mark Lacey the Democratic National Committee announced Tuesday that the Washington Post and MSNBC will co-host the fifth Democratic debate November 20th in Georgia. Now, this criteria requires candidate to receive contributions from 165,000 unique donors. Now, that's up from the 135,000 threshold for the October debates in Ohio. Here's where it gets wonky. Unlike The previous debates, however, there are now two ways to reach the polling requirements also required to appear in the debate stage. Candidates can either receive 3% support in four qualifying national or single state polls or receive at least 5% support in two qualifying single state polls in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, or Nevada the donors must be dispersed throughout the country as the DNC requires a minimum of 600 unique donors per state in at least 20 states. The polls, both national and single state, must have been released between September 13th and November 13th. If that made your head hurt, rewind this and listen to it again. So based off that criteria, eight candidates have already qualified for the November debate, and they are Biden, Sanders, Warren, Harris, Buttigieg, Booker, Tom Steyer, and Andrew Yang. The moderators and venue have yet to be named. But here's the latest polling. Biden's on top at 24 percent. Warren's next with 21 percent. Bernie Sanders at 16 percent. Buttigieg and Harris tied at 5 percent. Andrew Yang at 2 percent. Beta O'Rourke at 2%, Klobuchar at 1%, Cory Booker at 1%, and then the rest are all below 1%. Castro, Steyer, Gabbard, Williamson, Bennett, Delaney, Ryan, Bullock, Messum, and Joe Sestak. There's a really great New York Times site that has all this polling combined and lots of great analysis. Just go to the uh, com and, and look for the 2020 election page. But here's a story. Andrew Yang is a story. Andrew Yang might be the most underreported story of the 2020 election so far, and it's in the numbers. Andrew Yang is sixth out of 19 candidates. Yeah, he only has 2% in most polls, but that makes him sixth. That means he's tied with Better O'Rourke and ahead of people like Klobuchar, Booker, Castro, Steyer, and Gabbard. And he's way ahead of all the people who've already dropped out. A year ago, who would have predicted that Kirsten Gillibrand would be below Andrew Yang? Most people would have assumed that Andrew Yang would do worse than Bill de Blasio. But Bill de Blasio's out, long gone, and Andrew Yang is gaining steam. I hope that after this is all over, Yang will continue to gain steam and come home to New York City and run for mayor. And look, here's the story. People are tired of electeds. They want new voices, outside voices. Trump showed that. and In the past, people like Ron Paul and Steve Forbes and Mike Bloomberg and Ross Perot showed that. Andrew Yang won't win, but he can't be ignored. And another thing that can't be ignored, measles. Back in episode six, the episode with Agent Poo, I told you there was good reason to be angry. Pro-measles people. Yes, pro-measles people. People who think measles is a good thing. People who refuse to vaccinate their kids. People who host measles parties. If you haven't heard that one, go back and check out episode six. Do it before Rudy disrupts the whole world order. But there's new reason to be concerned. Thousands of individual schools don't have high enough immunization levels to meet the threshold considered adequate to protect the population from measles. There's a new Wall Street Journal examination that found this out. While the majority of schools have high measles, mumps, rubella vaccination rates of 90% or higher, many schools have rates in 70 to 80%. And some small private schools have rates hovering around 50%. So, even as the outbreaks end, pockets of low vaccinations are going to leave communities vulnerable to outbreaks. If measles were a kind of music, they'd be like Muzak, invading our minds and our bodies when we least expect it. And in closed spaces, like elevators and malls, as if you needed another reason not to go to Walmart. But it is just in time for Halloween. So if you're in Walmart, listening to awful Muzak, looking for a very scary halloween costume you can dress up like a pro measles person you can be jessica beale for halloween she's a pro measles person and that's pretty terrifying you can do that if all the rudy giuliani costumes are gone but the ongoing measles challenge is reason to be angry but since we're getting into music this episode i have a recommendation there is a new sturgill simpson and it is bad fucking ass This is a public service announcement. There is a new Sturgill Simpson album, and it's awesome. It might have the single most badass cover I've ever seen. So if you like rock and roll or just good things, I improved your week significantly with this recommendation. Sturgill Simpson is a Navy vet, spent three years in the Navy, which is interesting and has shaped his creativity. And the song is called Remember to Breathe. That's a good lesson for Bernie Sanders. It's a good lesson for all of us right now. So consider this episode a pause to breathe and to get and talk music. Inside that new Sturgill Simpson record, I hear bits of Pink Floyd, Bowie, Daft Punk, Black Keys, Merle Haggard, Gorillas, even Trent Reznor. If a ninja had sex with a muscle car, this would be its child. Sturgill's going to be like Trent Reznor. And at a time when there's lots to be angry about, the music of Sturgill Simpson has got me happy. And there's something else this episode that's got me really happy. Mark Roberge. Mark Roberge is the lead singer of OAR, a band that has been grinding away road warriors for music for two decades. And not only have they been successful, but they're a great American success story. They're buddies from a small town that started out playing in a garage after being inspired by seeing Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam on TV. And they went from a garage to a college to selling out Madison Square Garden and Red Rocks. They've sold millions of albums. They've had nine full-length releases and multiple chart-busting songs. Since they broke out in 96, OAR has tirelessly delivered their signature brand of rock and roll, steeped in alternative scope, roots tradition, and pop ambition. The 2008 record, All Sides, had the platinum single Shattered and hit top 15 of the Billboard Top 200, a space they've stayed in with The King in 2011 and the Rockville LP in 2014. The band saw a wild resurgence of recognition back during the 2018 Winter Olympics when some Russian athletes banned from competing under their country's banner and name due to a doping scandal were referred to as the Olympic Athletes from Russia or OAR. So OAR, the band, saw a massive increase in Spotify streaming and Google searches. They performed on the Today Show, Conan, the 2015 Special Olympics opening ceremony, and the ESPYs. And they played their hit song, Peace, at the Times Square New Year's Eve celebration on the eve of 2016. Richie Sambora called them at Red Rocks the mighty OAR a few years back. That's what Jerry DePizzo from the band recalls. He said those two words just stuck with us, and Mark suggested we use it as the album title. They have a great sense of pride in their career they've built to this point. And that term wraps up who the band is. They say it just feels good to them. And that's what they're all about, doing what feels good to them. They've lived the dream, and they know it. And they appreciate it, and they share it. And like all the guys in the band, Mark Roberge is an important, inspiring, and iconic American. He shaped what America was, what it is right now, and what it will be going forward. At a time when there's so much to be worried about, and so much to be angry about, this is an episode and a guest who will give you so much to be happy about. A lot of you told me you love the show, but that in times like this, you need a little more happy. Well, I hear you, and I got you. Mark Roberge is the kind of guy you'll root for, you'll connect with, and you want your kids to look up to. He's a true superstar who's even better in person and he's the opposite of our president. He's loyal, he's true, he's respectful, and he's respectable. He cares deeply about his art, about his fans, about his community, about his family, and about his country. In times like this, Mark's music and his words and his example are a reason for all of us to be hopeful about America and optimistic about our future. And even if you're a true cynic, a relentless, immovable curmudgeon, If you got out to an OAR show, or if you listen to an OAR song, I think you'll find it hard to stay there. Mark will tell you about an OAR show, you'll feel better at the end than when you got there. And it's absolutely true. When we say look for the helpers, Mark is a helper. We had to end our interview so he could FaceTime with a sick kid. There was a fan of OAR who was bravely fighting cancer, and Mark wanted to do what he could to give the kid a boost. And he did, just like he will with you, because Mark really is a helper.
2: I don't wanna fight no more. Only wanna get to shore. Baby, don't slam the door tonight.
0: It's true, and it'll be true about this episode. If you're sick of the craziness, I need a break from it all. But not some fake sugar break, not some nutra sweet shit. This is a real, substantial, satisfying break. It's the good stuff, and like every episode, it's one packed with the realness of the four eyes. It's a deep bass track of integrity. It's a soaring saxophone of information. It's masterful lyrics of impact, and an epic guitar solo of inspiration. It's John Lennon's birthday this week. We all need a little more music in our lives, especially in times like these. It's all about the music. It's always all about the music. We all need more music. We all need more love. We all need more peace. And in this episode, we're going to bring you some of it. We're going to play that tune. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 28. Crank it up. I want, peace. Peace. I want us,
2: I want you, I want me. I want peace. <laughs>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans everywhere, I am really, really excited about this conversation that we're about to have. My friend, the amazing, dynamic, inspiring Mark Roberge is here at the Classic Car Club Manhattan in the simulator room. So you've been in a lot of interesting places. This is the quietest I've ever heard you. You've been in a lot of interesting- I'm waiting. uh, You've been in a lot of interesting places. We were talking about this on the way up, but have you ever recorded anything, Mark, in a driving simulation
2: room? Coincidentally, the only other, and first, thank you so much. That's so sweet of you. And that's how I feel about you. And I can't wait to talk like we've been trying to do this forever. The only other simulation- situation I've been in was on a USO tour uh over there and uh that's the only other time I've been in a room like that I want to come back to that
0: yeah I just thought that was cool no I think it, I knew you you were gonna have stories because we were talking about the rig that I have right and like I started doing the show and sometimes I do the show in my wife's fucking closet and yeah. I have my gear in my backpack <laughs> and usually I have to explain that
2: to guests I don't have to explain that to you man Oh, or my wife. I mean, listen. Our poor wives, with you know, and our neighbors. Listen, in my building, I'm assuming eh, they don't really know what I do most of the time. Uh, they just hear me singing harmonies. Sometimes, when you're recording harmonies, it just sounds crazy. It sounds like an animal crying. I'm singing way up top, different ones over and over and over for 45 minutes, recording in my closet. Finally moved out. Um, my amazing family had had enough. Got me a studio. I was like, great. So I think I just kind of badger them. So keep doing it. Just yeah. keep recording and eventually should go.
0: <sighs> my building condo board actually tried to pass an ordinance to prohibit piano playing after nine o'clock because there's somebody in my building who is playing the piano. And there are some people in my building who hate joy i guess and hate music so i my (laughs) wife asked me we're signing on this i said hell fucking no we're not signing on to this no if somebody in our building no matter how bad it is wants to play piano at late night i'm okay
2: with that absolutely i want more of that that that. i feel that yes exactly well and also
0: I'm, i'm so excited to have you here we've been trying to do this for a while you and i i was reading up in advance we've known each other dude like almost a decade now over a decade maybe over a decade right um but before we get into that you're part of the reason why I moved to Lower Manhattan. You may not
2: know this. Did I sell you on but it? But
0: You did, man. Yeah. Because when I was thinking about it, uh, 9-11 was a couple of weeks ago. We've covered that on this show. We've had Rob Serra of the first responders. I was kind of conflicted about moving my family to Lower Manhattan a couple of blocks away from Ground Zero. Yeah. And the neighborhood was just starting to develop. There wasn't a lot of infrastructure. And I didn't know many people and without identifying where exactly we live. But you live in that
2: area. And you say, I remember you said to me, it's good living. It's great living. I feel like I'm part of something. You feel like you're, in general, in the city of, of, of New York, right? You feel like you're a part of something. And that that comes and goes. It ebbs and flows. Sometimes you don't feel that way. But in these neighborhoods, you do. Uh, they've been through a lot. And the rebuild is personal. And you can feel it, man. And you feel like you're contributing. And I I, I always tell folks, you know, There's a lot going on north of 14th Street, but there's a whole lot going on south of it too. Yeah,
0: and we're like, we're building and growing that community, starting families down there. And people don't know this side of New York. Like, there's actually green space. And we got the water, which is like, I think one of the most exciting stories about New York in the last decade or so. Is like, New York City woke up and realized it was on the water. And all these (laughs) shitty, like, garbage disposals and, like... Parking lots are now getting turned into
2: parks and playgrounds, and, like, the water is reborn again. You know what? They're really spending the time and the, the attention on that. I think that's because of the high activity of people running around. Like, they want to have that goal where you can run all the way around the island of Manhattan, right? Yeah. That would be amazing. I don't know how long that's going to take, but they're close. You drive up the west side, you keep looking on the left, it's action, all the way up. So I'm really excited about that. And I think, you know, as a generation, it's very convincing when you have the younger generations giving a shit. Uh, it reminds the older generations uh, to give a shit. You know, often we forget what we want our kids to grow up in. We think we all are always thinking about that when it comes to the environment. But I, again, you grow distant and then you got to get reminded. These younger folks, uh, I'm telling you, man, they know more. My son is hyper-aware of water quality, air quality, where to be, when, what time of year, and he's nine, 10. Sorry. Oh, man, he's going to kill yeah, me for that yeah, one. No.
0: no, it's hard to keep <laughs> track. Uh,
2: but, you know, it's 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 exciting to see what's happening in New York. I'm happy to be here.
0: That sense of community, though, is also built on the realization that we are in a place that is under threat kind of constantly. Yeah. I remember when... Uh, there was a, a terrorist attack in our neighborhood, and it was, I think it was on Halloween. Yeah. The truck drove into the pedestrian area by Stuyvesant High School, which is in lower Manhattan, a couple of blocks from Ground Zero. And you texted me. Yeah. And I texted you because yeah. our kids are in that area, our families are in that area. Like, this is not just some shit we watch on TV, this is people we know. And what people didn't realize
2: is that truck stopped like a block from Stuyvesant High School, right? You like, know what stopped it? Uh, a school bus. So it came down the path, came under the bridge on Chambers and into the street in And a, a, a little half-sized school bus that was backing up and ran right into it. And that's what stopped him. So yes, you know, you're reminded of these things in major ways. Sometimes when you live in, in Maryland where I'm from or Ohio where I lived and you turn on the news, that's where I was on 9-11, Columbus, you're reminded, but when you hear it happen, you know, that's been multiple things in this city. You know, we had a friend with the bomb in Chelsea. You know, that's the scary, most scared I've ever been. And he was a block away. I and mean, it's just, it, it, but again, you know, when you do the review in your head of, am I, why am I living here? Well, you walk outside, you feel like you're in a movie all the time. Yeah. Drive down A Street, tell me you're not in a good mood. Right? Yeah. So it's, in my opinion, it's not a risk, it's just part of living here. Yeah, and as an artist, it's full of inspiration. I mean, you're always creating
0: and visioning and, and seeing. And one of the reasons I've been so inspired by your work is because you build on that sense of community. And I kind of knew your work before I met you. And then I don't know if you know the whole story, but like we met through Benj, yeah. right? you yeah. Uh, Your a bandmate who's yeah. an incredible guy. But I met him through Bob Ferguson, who is a legendary kind of music guru at Oxfam. And Bob was this guy who's kind of the master of uh, music and activism. He brings people together. He did it, I think, with you guys, with Mm -hmm. Coldplay, with other bands. And he said, you gotta meet these guys because they just got back from a USO tour. I did know this, yes. And and that was, I think, our first introduction. And I met Benj, we had a drink, And we clicked. And I think you guys had either, I think you had just come back from a USO tour. But there was this sense of community. And I think that's what Bob saw, is that you guys, you know, from the very early days in Maryland at Ohio State, and you go to a show. I've been to a number of your shows, which are awesome. Thanks, man. But they are, it's a community. And it's an inspiring community. And this show is about building community and also recognizing that there's real shit happening in the world. But how you approach it and what you do with it can really make the difference. And that's what I feel like at every OAR show at everything that you guys touch, there's a very, very unique and powerful sense of community.
2: I was taught that early on by watching the way my dad was. So my dad would never say to you a laundry list of how to act, be be this way. He'd just do it. He would never say, son, this is how you... Do something, you know, he'd just do it. He would say short little quips, uh, you know, that's life in the city, life in the big city. He'd always say, whenever I'm complaining, hey, 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 kid, it's life in the big city. You know, you want to live here, deal with it. Don't let's not hear the complaint. You grow up with that kind of attitude. You realize very quickly, and it was confirmed later by my father in law, you know, that we need each other to set examples for each other. We need to have positive role models in our world who don't point at us and preach to us and tell us what to do and act and feel like. This is why politics is such an interesting and uh, hard to watch experience. You're being told all the time what to do. I just like to see you do it. I want my kid to see me do it. And that's how OAR formed. We are not going to sit here and uh, tell you how to be, and we are not going to tell anyone in our audience that they're unwelcome, no matter who they are. And we're just going to be, and we're going to tour around the country. We're going to put on two, two and a half hours a night. You'll feel better leaving than when you got there. That's the formula and that's it. And we stuck with that. Um, We just be, we try not to preach at all about it because look, honestly, we don't know anything. (laughs) It's like, I'm just experiencing my life. When I run into a problem, I write a song about it. And then we just be, and we go out and perform. And people seem to relate to that because this is life. Yeah. It's know? it's so authentic. And
0: you guys, in so many ways, are kind of not just a great American music success story. You guys are a great American success story. You know, a diverse background. You guys worked your asses off. You know, you, I guess really came together at Ohio state, right? Uh, was before that. The story began,
2: sorry to cut you off, but the Ohio state part was such an important stage two of what we did. The stage one was uh, the eighth grade talent show. We want to play. We love Pearl Jam. I love Ed Vedder. I see him on MTV unplugged standing on a chair, writing on his arm. And I'm like, okay, this is, I can get behind this guy. You know, I like what he's doing. Um, I want to do that. So eighth grade, I stand on the, ba- on the stool in front of the, the class. Chris is on drums, Richard's on guitar, and we play. We play Porch by Pearl Jam, and we loved it so much that we kept trying to play songs. We play in the cafeteria in ninth grade, tenth grade, start playing around town, local bar. Boom, 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 next thing you know. We build things in Maryland, record our first album in some person's basement, Grant, Gant Kushner, amazing guy. And then we're like, hey, we have some success here. We started a sales rep program, which at the time, there's no phones, all you know, cell phone, none of that nonsense. We started a sales rep program in our area. A lot of people went away to college. Some went to University of Maryland, but a lot of people went away. So shit, man, well, we give them um, each 25 CDs. Uh, sell them or give them away in your dorm. But give us the name and the number of the people that get them. The money, Secondary sales rep program. I have a book full of names and addresses, a very first mailing list. We were trying to get involved with programs early on that would like spread the word. Napster came along. We, we go out to Ohio State because it's the biggest, most bars in the smallest vicinity. We didn't get into Texas. We got into Ohio State. We go to Ohio State.
0: That was a plan. You went to Ohio State with to that be calculation. In a band. It was
2: a strategy. We wanted to be a band yeah. in the biggest school uh i swear to god texas couldn't get in yeah ohio state got in they gave me a $2,500 uh buckeye scholarship which i think they just give to anyone from out of state but we were we were like hook line and sinker dude i'm in right we say ben you gotta come next year he's a year behind us richard you got to transfer from the the community college everyone does first person i meet at what's that thing before the uh school year starts when you go to practice pre or you just hang out for a day or weekend
0: The orientation thing orientation
2: yeah i go out on the bridge this bridge between the towers these dorm rooms to like you know do what you do when you're 18 and uh, i'm walking around on the bridge and there's dudes on the bridge and it's jerry first person i meet at Ohio State, Jerry. Is he I, playing on the bridge? No, hanging out. Hey, That'd man, be pretty would, epic everyone too, was though, just though, kind he of looked and he was just playing like, yeah, like, that a, like, like an that angel epic, from yeah, the yeah. heavens. <laughs> it <laughs> well, was. Because I could see that. I yeah, could see Jerry doing music. that. Oh, right? I play music. Cool, cool, cool. He starts out pushing our gear around with us, playing on a couple songs, and then he's in the band. So phase two, stage two, Ohio State. We were born in Maryland. We were raised in Ohio. Four years we spent going back and forth to class and shows because we wanted it both. Uh, and then it we graduated in May the next weekend Memphis in May Atlanta and another uh, another festival we open playing before Kid Rock and that was it and we were like stage two and a half. Wow. Kind of from stage two to stage like five, right? Right. Get in the bus and don't stop for 10 years. And that's what happened. So the lessons learned in in those short time periods were all about um, just like do it. We wanted to be road warriors. My brother's band had done it. We had no interest in being famous. We didn't even like categorize us in that world of, you got to remember 1990 something, there's famous people. And then It's just not something you think about. You just want to be in a band. Yeah. But it's it's
0: organizing. Like you guys had this very smart, innovative, but also kind of back to basics way of organizing. Yeah. And this is, you know, it's, it's also kind of the spirit of the dead or fish or Dave Matthews, Dave Matthews, right? Yeah. Like I remember being in college and getting Dave Matthews tapes and bootleg tapes and going, with, I, I worked security at a Dave Matthews show a couple of times. I took Dave to a toy store once. That was part <laughs> of my deal. He wanted to go to KB toys yeah. and I took him to a toy store in, in Massachusetts with his crew. But, um, it was the first show I had worked security at where they let everybody put recorders on, on, on the, the sound piece, oh. right? Like I used to be, I was security. Hey, don't let anybody record. Yeah. Um, and I always thought of this, you never, you ever see that episode of what's happening with, uh, with, with rerun when he records the Doobie brothers no. and, uh, there's a whole scene where rerun, like, you know, secretly records the Doobie brothers and then he starts dancing and the tape recorder falls out and the Doobies all come in and they all get pissed. <laughs> oh, right. And shit. it was like, don't bootleg our music. <laughs> right. And that was kind of always the approach from every, uh, musician that I had worked security with except Dave Matthews. They basically came in and said, "Let everybody record everything," and it was you know pre-internet. That was viral music back then. Was letting everybody record and pass around tapes across the dorm room. So that spirit, I think, was really important and innovative and authentic. And when I came to see you guys the first time, that's what the first thing struck me. It
2: felt like that essence. As you're telling me this, it's just dawning on me that, I mean, we very specifically owe probably the Dave Matthews Band a ton of gratitude for showing us. The taping thing, The Grateful Dead. We all listened to those tapes in high school. Widespread Panic, all these bootleg tapes. Yeah, Dave Matthews Band, and I remember standing on Chris's front lawn, which is where we practiced the basement. And like, car, his dad was the manager of a sound, a really big like music store in DC, Washington um, music. It's called Chuck Levin's. And he's bringing us over our first PA system, which was very small, two pieces. And we're listening to Dave Matthews' band. And they're in Virginia and we're in Maryland. And they're a few years ahead of us. And we sit there and we're going, I, I know, I see what's going on in Virginia. Yeah. I want to do that in Maryland. We start going to their concerts. We learned a lot about this taping thing from them. Uh, bands before that as well, but they're the ones who really, and the dead, drove it forward. Yep. We jumped on that, and, 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 it, and I think that spread our music so far. Uh, that I was just dawning on me that I think yeah, we should deep, thank them. <laughs> deeply.
0: Like, I, you know, to go to your show is to be in a community, right? And, and I've gone to a couple of different places, and you guys have played in a wide range of venues and, and, and for many causes, but you feel that when you walk in. You're like, okay, it's almost like going to church. It's like people know not just, you know, the, the songbook, but they know the philosophy and they're there because they, they know they're going to walk out and feel that sense of inspiration and community. And then you kind of get up into it and you feel like you're converted in a good way, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's what I felt. And I remember bringing my nephew to your show. I think he was still in high school. You guys were so kind to him. I think it was the first time he'd ever been backstage. And I, I remember saying to him, like, watch what they do. This is how you do it. This is how you do it yeah, right. Nice, because it was family. It was family and you guys were family and you guys treated each other like family and you treated everyone around you like family. And I've been to a lot of shows backstage, high levels, low levels, and not everybody does it that way.
2: Look, it's so, for us, it's so, uh, it just is. I don't know. I don't know how to explain else to explain it we came up understanding that we are one in a a billion to be able to play songs with our friends make those songs (laughs) written about our friends about our lives and have people accept that and be able to do that for a job okay we're the first people most aware of that all our wives keep us in such check because we've known them so long Mm -hmm. some of our wives are part of that group we wrote songs about So when you have that sort of like foundation, your parents, my dad was our lawyer. My brother was our manager. We worked through so many of these situations that it's nothing but real. So yes, do we go on stage and like we're working through two hours of our own therapy up there, really going for it making ourselves feel good. That's why people draw the church connection or the uh, religious connection or whatever, because that's kind of the experience we're going through at the time, but it's Strictly with music, the times, and being with our family. So everything you're seeing is genuine because it just is. Um, we don't ever try to, if someone comes into the fold, we're not like, hey, listen, man, be really nice and respect everyone and you have to do this. No, you just come in and it's just everyone flows. It's just like you said. It's like, it's, you know, lead by example. And, uh,
0: yeah. and there's another piece of this that I wanted to focus on in advance of this conversation. I was thinking about it. You guys are not afraid to have fun and you're not no. too cool for school. There are some people who, you know, I'm a rock star. You know, I can't have fun. There's this, this kind of like a, like a fun meter that they don't want to go too fast on or too far on. But you guys, you know, you don't give a shit about that. And it's real, right? <laughs> yeah. If this is fun, you roll with it. And there's an authenticity yeah. to it and a vulnerability to it. You take chances. You dabble in many different genres. You play with different sounds. But there's a playfulness and a curiosity and an authenticity and a risk in it that I think is really unusual, and it's part of your realness as a band and as a community.
2: Maybe we're stunted. Maybe we were 18, and everything was cool, and we're in a bar, and we're playing songs for our friends, and if my buddy wants to come up and play congas, he comes up. If my other buddy wants to rap, great. Harmonica, uh, the harmonica player on our second album is my buddy's dad. Who's like, drove us in his minivan <laughs> yeah. to the studio? He's like, I play bros. And we're like, all right, put, a, a put him in. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're trying to have a really good time. So maybe we're stunted. Maybe we're stuck in that moment where we just literally are just happy to be there. I mean, do we go through trying times? Who doesn't? Who hasn't been in tough situations? But when we get through them, we're like, damn, that was close. Yeah. Uh, let's have some fun. You know, we're here. Now, I saw this amazing, like, quote the other day, and I'm not one to do that, but it just popped into my head. It said, raise your words, not your voice. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I I look at that not as don't yell at somebody. I just look at it as like, just do your thing. Yeah, Don't say, everybody, look at how fun we are. Our drummer plays drums all day, every day, practicing. Not all day, but he regimented. He does not talk about that. He doesn't go around saying, look how much I practice everybody. But if you hear it in the in any building, where is this? What is that? And it's him. Doesn't talk about it. And I always love that. I'm not like that. I blabber mouth sometimes, but I love it in other folks. So I surround myself with folks like Jerry, Bench, Chris, Richard. These are folks who just do. They live such respectable lives that it inspires me to enjoy the times that we're together. Mm-hmm.
0: And and you guys work your asses off. I've seen that, and it comes through in the music. But there's also, since I've known you, been so many times when I'm out and I hear that, or I hear an element of your music, and it just kind of, my ear goes like this, and I turn toward it, and, I, and then I know it's you guys. But it's just kind of a <laughs> swell that comes over me, and I kind of look around. I usually feel it before I hear it. I can kind of see it sweep around people, and I think a lot of people probably know your music and may not even know it's you.
2: Definitely, but, right? There's if you've been a, there's, in an elevator right? or a grocery store.
0: Yeah, but there's a, there's a, there's a, there's an energy, <laughs> and I think that's a, that that there's a, is a positive like connection that I see happen. And I've texted you a lot of times, like, dude, yeah. you're on here. Yeah, I love and this that. song is I love on that. here. This so song. Nice. Is, and then there's times where like "Shattered" is, is such an incredible song. I mean, there have been times when my wife and I were fighting, and I think at one point she played it and was just like, "Listen to this," you know? Like, there, there's all these elements where your music has kind of permeated now decades yeah. of American life, right? And you've played in many, many different places, right? You've played at the Special Olympics. Yes. You've played at USO shows. You've been very committed to causes. So can, can you talk about- that for a second, Mark, sure. the causes. Because you guys are a cause band. You care very deeply. When we met, it was a collaboration around Warsong. Yeah. We actually, I mean, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, but we worked with you guys on a music video and we cast it and you guys put this song together. And it was a it was a charitable effort for IAVA and for veterans. But it was it was amazing to be around you guys in that collaborative process because it wasn't just a one-off, it was in your DNA.
2: Yeah, look, we one of one of my fondest memories is staying up all night with our friend, Bryant Collins, before he was sent to Korea. Um, And this is in the nineties. He probably just sat there and and did his thing. Um, It wasn't any action, but I know that when he left there, we all had our first experience with that. Years later, we would see a whole generation of folks going over. Right. Um, But this was like a, a, a time when that wasn't happening. Right. So we were very interested in the fact that there was no voice for him. So we became that. So we would write songs about that feeling. I feel home, you know, things like that. So I was like, wow, okay, there's a connection between music and people who might not have the opportunity to get that story out. So I want to write stories and songs about that and how that feels. That's how it started. Then we saw that, look, we have so many situations in our world that um, we're connected to how can we make our our ticket sales reflect that like in a real number? Um, I don't know who thought of the very first time to take money out of every ticket sold, but my wife then started running heard the world fund where this money would go into this fund. And then we would have this opportunity as each band member to be connected with, Anything that meant something, you know, if Jerry's hometown of Youngstown, Ohio, really tough place, not tough, but just like has been through a lot on the rebound, schools need computers and instruments. He can go and do that now. He can have a room at the high school, the OAR music room, you know? And so you saw this direct impact of ticket sales songs. So songs written about folks that need a voice, written about our lives, bring people out whose money they work real hard for. A little tear goes off, like boiler room, (laughs) goes to the Herd the World Fund, the anti-boiler room, okay, bad reference, but you know what I'm saying, the tear. And it started to mount and we could make real big impacts. So look, we just saw the connection between the whole thing being like, we can do this and have fun and never be out there going, you should do this. You should think this and think that. No, just fucking do it. Yeah. And so and that, that's the, the general story of how it started was wait, what? We can play songs and make it some sort of impact to now that's sometimes drives everything we do.
0: And telling really good stories. You know, you're telling the story. You're the voice for the voiceless. And and we saw that, you know, you took a risk on getting behind veterans issues and going on a USO tour at a time when it wasn't popular yet. And it was risky, right? And 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 I don't think people recognize that it is, you know, risky to get involved with veterans causes or anything having to do remotely with politics or war right you know you walk into a record label and say hey i want to do something for puppies everybody probably says oh great you want to do vets there's a lot of politics packed into that you know beyond the people but you guys made it about the people and you made it about the stories and that was really authentic and it really mattered um but can you talk for a second mark the uso experience what was that like for you and now in retrospect you know your your kids are getting older as you reflect on it, what, what did that mean for you guys and, and for your development as a band and as
2: a person? The experience with the USO. There's only a few experiences in my life where I feel like there was life before and then life after. This was one of those experiences. We had seen Drowning Pool make a video of their time in Kuwait and Iraq. You know, we partnered
0: with them. Before we partner with you guys.
2: <laughs> no way. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So Again, it first goes First press back.
0: conference we ever, I got to interrupt. We, the first press conference we ever really did on the Hill was, was with Drowning Pool on the steps of the Rayburn building. First time I ever met Barack Obama. Get out. Senator Barack Obama was when we had Drowning Pool and we were going door to door talking about veteran suicide. And this was wow. like, I don't even know when it was. We can look at it. It's like 07 maybe. Right? Oh, 06. Yeah. And there was a moment about Obama that forever shaped my understanding of him. We would come around the corner with Drowning Pool, okay, which looks like a heavy metal band from Texas, mm-hmm. but they're all also kind of short. So, the, yeah. and, and they're mean looking. And so, you had Drowning Pool and a bunch of vets in wheelchairs with canes, like tattoos. We looked literally like the most menacing group of people possible. <laughs> the in Ma- D.C. Crew, and we say. came into the heart building and we would go door to door. And you could see when some people were going to duck us out. They saw us coming. They kind of went in the back door. There's a back door to every Senate building. We came down this long hallway and we had, we were going to go in the front door and Obama came around the corner. And there was a moment where he was like maybe 75, hundred feet away from us. And he looked up and he looked at us. And there was that moment where he could have totally just gone in the door. He'd been like, fuck that. These guys look like crazy people. I'm not going anywhere near (laughs) them. And he looked at us. And he paused and he looked like deep into us. And then he strode toward us in that like way that he glides. Right. And he came right over to us and he's like, what's going on, man? What's going on guys? What are you up to? And we told him, took a picture with him. So he's the, greatest. The, the first interaction we <laughs> ever had great. with then Senator Obama, there's a photo of it. It's like drowning pool, Barack Obama, and then a bunch of vets in the back. God, but God, drowning pool, all that is to say, like drowning pool got after it and like really good dudes. Yeah. And they had also been shaped by that experience.
2: And this is why- we had intentions of look. This is their insurgency, right? So that's oh seven. Yeah? yeah,
0: yeah, it's getting bad.
2: We're like, USO wants to do something. Of course, where do you want to go? California? Here, all these play. No, no, no. We, we want to go where it's folks who are not getting music right now. You know, some fobs out there in Iraq. Drowning pool wow this is amazing what they're doing let's go there this is what we wanted to make sure that if we were going to go out there and publicly get behind our troops which so many people say and I know everyone means it but there's a lot more to it we had to go see what the hell we were talking about you can't just go up there and (laughs) talk all this shit yeah so we said we watched them and and they they made a music video or some sort of video bernie i think r i p Bernie from u s o showed us that, and we said, we gotta go there, so that was then the goal. We gathered our crew uh my wife came she's her family's from Iran this was the closest she was going to get to Iran. you know um this is not a place she goes to, and it's a beautiful country she just wanted to be. Cl- let's go. She ran our whole thing. It was such a great vibe around that trip where we were all in on it. And we went there. And day one, we go to Kuwait, get into uh, Iraq. Day one, mortars come in, and we start to feel and understand what's really going on. Mm -hmm. Because we saw the MPs get pulled in from the airstrip, everyone in the uh, hospital... Is working, you know, who's got blood. You see this happen and you say, okay, now I can talk to folks and develop an actual opinion. Right? Yeah. So that's why we went there. We wanted to know what was going on before we went there and out there and talked shit about it. And what we found out was that these are, are people who are dedicated to their job. Hey, thank you so much for your service. I mean, thank you so much for, man, it's my job. Got that a lot, yeah. Right, yeah. And then uh, you know, a guy's blown up. Sign him right back up. Yeah, why? Wow, it's my job, and I'm here. And it, you know, this is something that this is a people business. Mm. So we came back and said, okay, we're not going to write like 50 songs about how we feel about this and politics and blah 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 blah. blah all this nonsense. People don't want to hear that. Maybe they they do, but we don't want to put it out there. Let's write a song about the warrior, and that's who we're behind. So there's no politics in getting behind a warrior, you know? Yeah. So that's what shaped our goal. Life before was our thoughts on it. Mm -hmm. What do we think about it? And probably very fluffy clouds of like happiness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that's why I do get frustrated with politicians who go so far into la-la land that you are like, damn, I can't even get behind you. Let's keep it real. Let's see what's going on.
0: But that spirit of the band and that community that we talked about, you guys came back and Warsong, I think, was written or in development, right? That was the song. And, and um, we worked together on the video. We cast a guy in it named Marco who subsequently got redeployed, yep. right? So the story keeps coming full circle. And we would do a lot of these projects where we would cast a veteran in something. Um, and, and that was a little tricky because um, then they have to deploy and they're kind of like very visible, Right. They're in a music video or a guy named Todd Bowers we put in a public service announcement that was globally recognized. It was run in the pregame in a Super Bowl and then he redeploys to Afghanistan, right? <laughs> yeah. And we literally, and then, you, you know, know we literally had to say, like, what happens if, if he gets blown up? What happens if he gets killed? He pushed that conversation. Like, let's make sure we have a plan. Yeah. That's not something you normally think about when you're casting somebody in a music video, right? But you guys created the open up your arms effort. And that was what it was about. It was about opening up your arms to these people and not being judgmental and welcoming them into the community. And you were also, number one, you guys actually did the money piece. A lot of artists will not. They're like, oh, yeah, I want to help, want to help. What do we really need? We need money to pay for social <laughs> yeah, workers, to keep the lights on. Yeah. But a lot of bands won't go that far. And you guys actually yes. took money out of your own pocket and put it in the cause. That mattered to us. And you also listened to us. like we, I remember we, we, we launched a petition, and I think it was on 11-11, Veterans Day. We tried to get 11,101 signatures. And then we blew through that and, and kept that theme of the, symb- the symbology, uh, the symbolism of eleven eleven. And so it was really a collaboration where you respected us as advocates and as activists and listened to us and you say, hey, here's a song, run with it, right? It was really a conversation and and a collaboration that I think now in my almost 20 years of doing this, working with a lot of artists of a lot of different backgrounds, you guys are the gold standard. You really are. And the way you do it, and the way you listened and the way you collaborated. And I know that built a huge dedicated following to OAR in the military and beyond. Yes. But I always hold you up as an example. If you're an artist of any kind and you want to look at how to do it right and do it in a way that not just feels good but makes an impact, you know, OAR is the standard yeah,
2: for Yeah, don't be – and that's so nice of you to say because we certainly don't set out to be that. We just have learned from our parents of, like, do what you're going to do and do it. And don't be like – uh, I'm kind of like in support of these troops you know even saying troops I don't even know if that covers the bases it's like it doesn't. See,
0: that's a level of awareness. You're you're recognizing that you don't know that that I don't you know, even yeah, know. Yeah, you know. but you've learned. Uh, you've learned, and and there's been so many times you said to me, "Hey man, we got some tickets," or like just always thinking of us in a way that's really really important. And now but, IAVA
2: is doing rucksack again. We're yep. gonna try to get in there, and yep. I know so they're so great about that. My third time they've emailed me like, "Hey, <laughs> just you gotta checking a follow, in. Up, man," because you, you know got, you do because yeah. I, of course I care, but I'm not yeah. checking their Every, emails. So. Everybody's
0: busy, and you got you gotta we the Glengarry Glen Ross line. Uh, always be closing. ABC. Always, yeah. yeah. You know, I, but, I just
2: like, I, I just, you know, people don't get it twisted, you know, out there. You, you supporting your, the folks that are out there giving you the, um, okay, we play songs, we say what the hell we want on stages, on microphones, in yeah. parks, loud. For anyone to hear what I have to say, that is protected. Yeah. 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 So uh let's not get it twisted like I think a lot of folks might be reluctant to voice their support of our military because they think that maybe it there's a negative connotation to that word military. It's it's in my opinion more about protecting than engaging, mm. attacking and these things, you know. Yeah. And that's why it's it's a people business to me because it's not just like it's people who are working, serving. God, I mean, you know, you serve the community. You don't have to be on the front line. You know, there's a lot of folks and working hard all the way back.
0: Yeah. That's, that's the spirit that you guys have, um, have created and it's become contagious. And, and later, you know, we worked with other artists and we were able to point to you as a model and hearing you talk about this cause, right? And how people are different from the policy, how, you know, the wars, the people in the wars are separate from the politicians who create them. It, uh, a lot of your work inspired other artists, including Chester um, from Lincoln Park. And, And Chester Bennington, we later partnered with him and Mike Shinoda and Lincoln Park on a tour. And Chester um, would stop shows. That's he did so it true. night yes. after night after night. If you don't know, and if you're not a Lincoln Park fan, if you don't know the history, just Google Chester Bennington and veterans or Chester Bennington and IAVA. And you will see, and Mike did it too, Mike Shinoda. They would stop shows, okay, for five minutes. And Chester would put on an IVA shirt. He would say, hey, everybody, listen up. Let me tell you something. And he would say that his... You know, Ability to do that was in part because of you know, the, the folks who are on the front lines and this respect and this reverence, but it was a very deep, deep connection. And it was so you know, painful and ironic that we were doing a campaign with Lincoln Park <sighs> and with Chester to stop suicide. And it was in memory of Clay Hunt, our friend who was lost to suicide. Yes, dude. And, I remember e- this e- entire every, campaign. Every week. I mean, we did a show on 9-11. Where every security guard wore an IVA shirt, and it was one of the most moving experiences of my life. And Chester stopped the whole audience and had thousands of people riveted. And then, you know, Chester himself, we lost to suicide years later. And so it's so immediate and so important. Um, But I I share that because, you know, Chester's message and our message is if you are out there, you know, open up your arms and know there are people out there who do care about you. There is a community, whether it's connecting with IAVA or reaching out to, you know, to, to mental health support or just going to an OAR show. Like you're not alone. And if that I what I've seen and where I'm going on this too, Mark is that that song can be the hook like people need connection or inspiration. When they're at their darkest times, that's what I found doing this kind of work. Mm. And those songs can be the thing that saves a life. That when Chester stopped, Chester doesn't know. And they've come up to me and told me how many times people said to me, you know, I was at that show, I was having a really shitty night Mm. and Chester made me feel like he cared Mm. and it saved my life. And like that happens. And I know that has happened for you guys too. And you will never hear most of it, But I want you to know that and I want people listening to know that that is very, very important about the work you do because it actually does mean the difference, especially around hard to reach issues like like mental health and suicide.
2: We've all seen the damage of what's left behind after someone takes their own life. And it's all those questions about what, what, I didn't see this or maybe I did see something. And I think we're all learning how to Kind of see signs. We're we're trying to learn, and that's what we got to continue to do. Yeah. There's no answers. Yeah. Everybody has moments, but some people have moments that will take them away from us. You know, Chester clearly had his mind on the heart so yeah. much so that he couldn't even yeah. take that. You know, and I think opening up your arms to somebody when they need you is just being ready for that when they need you. That's how I kind of look at things. It's always be ready. Be ready to go serve if you need to serve. We've, we've brought days of service on the tour because we needed to learn that like every day is not a party. Be ready. Mm. So if someone in your world might need you and maybe you're not ready. Just be ready. Mm. Learn, think, prepare, get there. But there's no quick answers. We know that. Yeah, yeah. But that story, oh my goodness, man. I remember that entire campaign, and we were always looking at him and Linkin Park like with reverence. Mm. It's almost like not, it's not what you say, it's if you're saying something from the heart. Yeah. I don't even have to agree with what it is. Yeah. And that was I respect he, it. He was he was that way
0: in person too. Yeah. We met him. He was that open with his heart, and he was that warm uh, and that sincere. And, and it came through in his music, and it came through in his work, and I think now it, it comes through in his legacy. You know his his wife and the band um, when Mike Shinoda did you know the album afterward. Yeah that just fucked me up. I mean, it was one of them. And I texted Mike and told him that it was so powerful and important because he was going through it and he talked about what it was like to have to go through it over and over and over again to tell the story over and over again. And that was something that only families understood and only people connected understood. And, you know, all that is to say the legacy of Chester really lives on in powerful and important ways. And I think all you guys have made so much of a profound impact at a very, very important time, at a time when not many artists are afraid to do it, Mark. And and that's one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you, because you have been a leader and everybody knows about the music. They don't know how often. I mean, we're going to end this conversation because you need to talk to a kid who's struggling with cancer. And you do that stuff all the time. You, you do it all the time and you guys all in the band do it all the time and I want people to know not to give you a pat on the back really but to encourage other people if you're listening you're starting a band in your hometown yeah. or you're starting a business in your hometown remember to be like these guys because they're doing it the right way.
2: I can boil it down to this lesson I learned only a few years ago that kind of reconfirmed what I'd already thought but I I became very interested in, you know, uh, you know, space, aerospace. you know, I'm just interested in this and I would talk to my father-in-law about different things, you know, the moon, anything, the moon, the Mars, you know, different, anything, constellations. We would talk about everything in there. And he said, listen, when I look out and I realize how small, I realize for sure, we opened the interview with this, we need each other. This is not a one-man game. You would never make it on your own. Yeah, yeah. We need each other. And the way we do that is through, taking the time we have here and make an account. Yeah. That doesn't mean preaching. That doesn't mean pointing your finger and poking at people and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Do you. Mm. Do it well. Set an example and make sure people see that. And I think then you'll have an opportunity to give a voice to, to the folks you're picking up. You don't even know it, Paul. Like People watch what you're doing and feel like even the title, Angry Americans... People probably say, I'm afraid to even say that. Well, why? What does that, you know? There's so much tension right now. Yeah. And I think it's from over-talking. People are talking more, doing less. Getting so offended and so opinionated on things, doing nothing about it. <laughs> yeah, that's why I wanted to play Wow, oh, I'm so yeah. sad and hurt, da, 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 da but I'm not going to do shit about it. Come on. Yeah, that's why
0: I wanted to play with the title because I think there's a lot to be angry about and- and rightfully angry, right? Like you sh- I was angry when a guy tried to plow a truck into a bunch of kids in my neighborhood, right? Now, what do I do with that anger? Right? Do I channel it into something positive or do I turn it into something negative? And I think one of my criticisms about this president is at times he's been manipulating it and turning it into something negative. So I wanted to take that back, right? And that's what this show has been about and why I think so many people have responded to it because anger is not something people are comfortable talking about. Any more than they're comfortable talking about like really deep pain or loss, and so it's opened up a really important conversation in most communities. It's a little provocative, I like right? and, it. and that's okay too. It caught my attention and immediately. That, well, you guys know about marketing, so that was and part I of know it was, you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I follow well,
2: everything you do. I appreciate and it that, my but I want to
0: go since it is Angry Americans. You have to get a couple of questions that are standard. We're in a driving simulator
2: room. And so I just want to make sure we're good on the times and everything.
0: Yeah. If we need to pause, we can pause and come back. Thirty,
2: great. Great. Okay. No, forty-five. So, I pushed it. Great. Okay.
0: So, uh, Mark Roberge, what was your first car? You called yourself a road warrior. You guys have yeah. been on the road yeah. across this country in ways maybe most people have never seen. But what was your first
2: car? My first car was an 84 Honda Civic. It was purchased from my brother, who was coming home from college, for $200 cash. I took that car, three tinted windows. Three <laughs> the, tinted windows. The back windshield, <laughs> darkly tinted, and two of the little mirrors, not like the passenger, but like the little like triangle one. That's it. Boom, boom, back. Bag, uh, beanbag ashtray. My friends used to carve their names into the inside roof of the car when they got in. So it would be like, Caputo. You know, my, my wife, it was even on there as we were friends in high school. So like I had all the friends carved in, you know, no automatic, nothing. It was the greatest car I ever owned. I've had some cars. That was the greatest one you, in the morning. And when the weather started to get cold is when I got it, I'd start it up, go back inside and get ready for school. It would fill the neighborhood with smoke, <laughs> <laughs> the whole neighborhood and, I had no problem with that. I loved it. My parents were so okay with this shit. We lived basically... You know the movie Days the Confused? Yeah. We lived the 90s version of that. Loosey-goosey, fun, great parents, led by example. And it was awesome. And I just felt like this car was perfect for that. I held on to it for a long time. Then I bought my other brother's um, Jeep. And that lasted two seconds. I wasn't a Jeep person. Uh, and then I bought my friend Frank's Honda Accord... And that lasted me through college. And then I didn't, and then I had a Forerunner, which was my favorite car, my favorite truck I ever had. And now I haven't had a car in five
0: years. The, the, the first car, what was the
2: color? Oh, shit brown. Uh, light light <laughs> shit brown. <laughs> I'm so glad I asked. Have you ever written a song about that car? No, but I've referenced- I think you basically it. just oh, did. Like, no. that, that, was a,
0: that was like a love, a love song to this that messed car, me. man.
2: I, I did this event for the Recording Academy in D.C., 25 people in a room, some students. I was to open up for Garth Brooks. He was to come into this room and play a song, and I get to sing a song with him. I'm talking shit, talking about this car, my like three and windows, and fucking Garth Brooks comes in and goes, hey, man, that's a really good song title. And I'm like, noted, and I still haven't written the damn song. That was like 15 years ago. Coming I was like, soon, man. When Garth you... Brooks... <laughs> Gives you advice. Damn, Paul, you're bringing back a lot of memories right now, things I haven't thought about in a long time. And that's why I love this format, the long interview. You can really dig in. Yeah, man. Um, but that was my first car, and that's the car I sat on. Now it's really coming back to me on Frank's Frank Newby's long driveway. I parked that thing. I'd sit on the trunk with my guitar. My friends were in the field, a couple of us chilling, and I wrote the song I Feel Home, which was like our – one of our most well known yeah. tunes. I wrote it as I'm sitting with Frank and Mike Caputo. And Mike would then, very shortly thereafter, uh, get killed in an accident uh, near where we grew up and pretty much inspired everything we did for 10 years. Wow. Everything was for Mike. Everything. His favorite songs, his, you know. And he brought the whole crew together. I mean, the whole neighborhood was basically living for this person's memory and still does to this day. So it's been 20 years since he went. And uh, such a huge memory, all from that car. That's crazy. Thank you for sharing Good that, Good question. Man. There's like three songs in that. Good in that question, story. buddy. Yeah, you got it, man. <laughs> OK, so I,
0: I want to ask you a couple of shifting gears. We haven't gotten to one of the other core three questions. Mark Roberge, what, what's something that makes you angry? What makes you angry?
2: You know, I got to say, and this might sound like angry old old man, get off my lawn type person, but um, when I go into an establishment, uh, like a, any establishment, mostly food, and people don't give a shit about their product or their, the way their store looks or if their door's creaky or if the door slams or any of that, drives me crazy. <laughs> Makes me angry. I'm like, damn. But on the other side of that coin, if I'm driving through a McDonald's, and the gentleman or lady working there is amazingly incredible at what they do, I might hire them. You know, it's like I love when somebody can do their job proper and with joy. Nothing gives me more joy than watching somebody do their job and they love it. And they do it so well, no matter what that job may be. And then I get really pissed. And that says more about me than them. <laughs> Obviously, I have an issue with establishments. (laughs) I have the same issue. You do? No, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) No, I see
0: everything. I mean, that comes from my upbringing, but also from the military. Attention to detail, man. Attention to detail. I mean, if if water glasses aren't full in a restaurant, I kind of lose my shit. Yeah. If a bathroom is dirty, I feel sick. I'm like, dude, if the bathroom's dirty, the kitchen's dirty, the restaurant's dirty, that tells me something, right? I mean, but the pride in the work, and it's interesting you say that, because I've always said that if I ever get to the point where you know, Righteous becomes so big that I can hire people on the spot. I know five or six people that I interact with every day that I would hire for my company because they have that pride, they have that drive and they're just a positive impact, right? They have that positive energy that is contagious, but a pride in their
2: work that is also inspiring. Our crew runs such a tight ship. Yeah, you do run a very tight ship. You're not going to see, and that comes from Jerry, the saxophone player, who's the, the lead logistics man on the whole thing. But basically like, you won't see trash on the stage. You're not going to see a cup randomly. You know, everyone is on top of their game because when you're in our world, like it's a safety thing. And it's all. so I don't know why that makes me so angry, but my wife, it drives her nuts. I'll be sitting there. I'm like, and she's like, what's up? I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I can't believe, like, they don't give a shit about this yeah, place. That's and a it, good answer, man. That's it kills a good me. answer. Um, but that does sound a little picky. No, you know it's a I'm good, saying.
0: it's an authentic answer, yeah. man. I would expect no less. Yeah. So you kind of got to it, but I want to ask it of you formally. Mark Roberge, what makes you happy?
2: So, I mean, the same things have made me happy for a really long time. Like, if my wife, who was my girlfriend, who was my best friend, like that's how we go back, uh, is happy about something, nothing makes me happier. So, if I see her laughing, goofing off, whatever with her friends, or that's one thing. Uh, same with my kids. So, when you see your kids giggling and laughing and like uncontrollably, that makes me really happy. And then, I, I think I find real joy like sitting on the tour bus um after a show watching like Pop Star or a Tyson fight. Like we would we'll put on Tyson, watch Tyson, or we'll, we'll watch like Mike ho- Tyson hockey, or Tyson. Mike Fury? Tyson. Well Tyson Fury, we'll watch now. And Mike, we watch tape of Mike and then we'll watch like hockey fights with guys with, like just moments with my 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 guys, like the band. Yeah. I, time stops, man. Yeah. we just that makes it It's me fun happy. to see that cuz
0: you yeah. guys are real friends. And it you've been really friends for makes, so long yeah. and your family. yeah um, cuz we've talked about it on the show, what do you think of Tyson Fury?
2: I mean, what do, what do you what do I think about his skill or All his, of it. I All, love it. Mean, you, you
0: can't you, you can't just pick one it's thing It's entertaining. Tyson. Yeah.
2: So I watch fighters to be entertained and to kind of be in awe. Um Canelo is like my favorite fighter. Yeah. Jerry is a boxer so watching with him is really fun. So Tyson I like to watch. He's entertaining to me. I don't really like it's hard to compare him to other boxers because of his size. You know. Yeah. So for me it's like he's a different category but yeah. it's a heavyweight. I mean and that's that's what we've kind of been missing. I grew up in the era of heavyweights. Yeah. You know Mike Tyson and Evander and We grew and, up around the same time. Right George yeah. Foreman made yeah. his comeback like it was a heavyweight thing yeah. and then you had amazing smaller folks too you know that were killing it so i just like the sport but i've liked it more after watching like our bandmates who do it and enjoy it again when i see other people experiencing joy like it makes me psyched yeah, yeah.
0: and the heavyweight division's back yeah like, that's it, what i'm it's saying exciting it's exciting again a, it's, a,
2: it's an era that i don't know wasn't really happening no for a while. it was it hasn't happened yeah.
0: since tyson i think and and tyson uh, fury is I, I think he might be the most entertaining yeah. fighter I have ever, ever seen. His stories is amazing. Have ever seen the way he talks, the pageantry. I mean, the dude on the mic is think unbelievable. About his life, He's like- brilliant. One of my favorite podcasts of all time was Tyson Fury on Joe Rogan. Yeah.
2: You heard it, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, that for was me is- like, That hey, you got to hear this.
0: Joe, Joe Rogan is a master in so many ways, but Tyson Fury, if you want to understand why Tyson Fury is so important and so special, and he's been controversial. He said some things that are offensive in the past, and now he's survived suicide attempts, and he's back on top- But watching him in the ring, I think, is fantastic because he's like a dancing bear. There's never been a guy that big that can move that way with that kind of precision. It's
2: like watching a guy from the 20s, right? Like a put up your dukes kind of guy, right? It's a whole nother category of, in my opinion, it's hard to compare him to anybody. So I like watching him. I have really enjoyed the resurgence of boxing, although I'm sure it's always been there. Boxing purists would be like, no, it hasn't been though. Okay, it hasn't so been for me. It's been a guy void who gets for like off stage fifteen to twenty watches, years. You know, yeah. yeah,
0: and it's back now. And Deontay Wilder's fantastic, fun to watch too. <laughs> so this clash that's coming so up, so much going on. It's going to be the best heavyweight fight yeah. it, since the last one. Yeah. Which, if people haven't seen, even if you're not a boxing fan, you go back in that Undertaker moment where Tyson comes off the uh, off the mat, and Deontay's face is just <laughs> and then his band, We're
2: watching this together, so you're with your guys uh, cheering on, just battle. We like that. That makes me happy. Uh, So, you know, family first, though, for all of us, we all know that we put our families first. Even though the band is a family, it's all one big thing, and and we're doing our best to make it all count. That's really something we've learned now that it's lasted as long as it's had, is that this is so abnormal it's not normal so you really got to make it count and you mm. better have fun cuz it's disrespectful mm. party have fun get out there like get after it like some nights you're going to get loose and be a little <laughs> sloppy whatever that is for you whether it's eating 16 cup whatever that is cupcakes you know do it cuz that's disrespectful to the folks who would love to be out there partying and making songs so that's mm-hmm. it man it's it's simple like we we balance our time family first trying to learn shit that makes me angry is uh all over the place, like that guy driving a a damn truck into the neighborhood. But you know what? I'm just going to live my life in a positive way and be an example because I'm not on the front line. Mm. And
0: you're doing that, man. You're on the front
2: line of many things.
0: And- As is tradition, it is time for the giving of the gifts. We have to end so (laughs) that you. We have to. Yeah, this is kind of random. So I went to an event (laughs) last night for Sarah Jessica Parker. She's got wine. If you haven't heard her, I don't know if you heard that interview. we love her. her. Is amazing. She's a really good person. But that's the bag I was able to come up with because you can appreciate with two kids. Um, And I'll hold the mic for you if you need me to. Thank you. Thank you. But this is the giving of the gifts, and there's. Three kinds of gifts. So first, what are you going to, I'm going to let you. so you know the peeps, the peeps question?
2: The peeps, no.
0: So, all right. So pull out, there's three colors of peeps. There, okay. There's pink, there's blue. Yellow and white. Oh, okay. And there's yellow. Okay. So which color of peep would you choose and why, Mark? Pink. Pink.
2: Yeah. Why? It seems fun. I love it. That's a great answer. Okay. <laughs> That that's uh, excellent. <clears throat> yeah. it seems All right. Fun. Then we here got we go. uh, angry American oh, sh- swag. Oh hell merch. yeah! I'll be you guys this have challenge. great merch. Hell yeah! So it's
0: made by Oscar Mike. Right Veterans media, made dog. in
2: America. Beautiful. We'll get you as many Love sizes as Thank you need. You so Thank much. you. Boom. And then
0: lastly, for your next Tyson fight with the boys or whoever yeah. or with your amazing oh, boy, wife. I know what's going on
2: in here. Your amazing
0: wife deserves a shout out too deserves she is all the
2: shout out. incredible.
0: <laughs> and you guys, I gotta say, why you open that? <laughs> um you guys have been like Ooh. parental role models for me. Really? really? You really have, man. I learned a lot from you by your example, not so much by your messages even, but by your example on how to be a good dad. And, have uh,
2: fun, man. Yeah. Yeah. And every once in a while, you need a break. So if you need a break. This is what I'm talking about. I'm yeah, oh my God. We're going to work spilling. on making it's it open. easier to open. But it's, it's not open. open? That's Boom. the first time that's happened. It pulled off, but I can't okay, get you it hold You hold this. You get it? Like, you he's this. like, I'm a real man. I'm like, ah, I'm try this. I can't open this. Oh, I, I chose used- yellow, but I meant, yeah, here we go.
0: I use my teeth to open this.
2: but <laughs> Oh, baby.
0: It's four roses, oh, which man. is great. Always an American whiskey. Because, um, you know, you. it's a classic. You're a classic.
2: And rose is one of my kids' nicknames. Rose is one of my kid's nicknames, so this is good. I didn't Rose. think I was
0: going to have to tell you to put the mic next to your mouth because you're such so a I forgot. I got drunk off that. That's bit. good. <laughs> that means we're going to a good place.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: but Margot Bears, you are Thank a dear you. friend. You're an inspiration. You're an in- iconic, important, inspiring American. And what you do is, is is so innovative and important in music, and it's so much bigger than music. And it's so your message of of inspiration and positivity and community and family is always very important, but especially in times like this. And so I wanna thank you for all that you do for everyone out there. And uh, excited to keep watching you do your thing, man. Thank you so much.
2: And now it's my turn. Yeah. Thank you, that's very nice. And I want you to know that you have been an example for so many people, but you know this, right? That's your job. Your job is to like be the example, right? Show that we can have voice and we can represent. You've written books, you're doing everything with it, all your outlets, uh, all for positivity. Nothing is negative. Even the name Angry Americans is a misnomer. I mean, you're there for positive purposes and we're following you. We got your back, which is the greatest tagline of all time, uh, and we stole it. Um, but respect what? to you, you've influenced what we do. I mean, that's a lot, uh, says a lot, because um, we aren't easily influenced. So I appreciate much that, love. Brother. I think Johnny, Johnny
0: Cash or, or Willie Nelson said once that we're going to write a song uh, about stealing each other's songs so just basically if we've got your back works man take it run yes, with it yes. and uh, I think you, you're you gonna inspire a lot of songs uh, from this conversation for others uh, and I'm just so grateful for you man ladies and gentlemen the great Mark Robert so much fun and a testament to this guy he is leaving this conversation this is no shit yeah. to go connect with a, with a sick kid Yes. and to give him some inspiration and hope that's and right man that's, that's living it every day so right. I'm gonna let you do that see what happens ladies and gentlemen this has been Angry Americans Live from the Classic Car Club in Manhattan thank you To turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, agony into positive impact, it's time to be a helper. Always look
1: for the helpers, there will always be helpers, you know, even
0: just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. You know, the tune every show I offer a way of converting your righteous anger into positive action. A positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans, an action that'll channel your energy, make you feel good, and make a difference, just like an OAR show. And like this show, our actions that we take are always packed with the four eyes: integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. And I got a good one for this episode.
2: Mr.
1: S, what's going on? I heard you in music class. You guys can really play. Why didn't anyone tell me? You. What's your name? Zach. You play the guitar? Yeah. OK, come here. You ever play the electric guitar? My dad won't let me. Seems it's a waste of time. A waste of. Try this one. OK, there's a guitar pick, and you pluck along with me, OK? If you can.
0: There's an organization called Little Kids Rock, and it's awesome. Little Kids Rock transforms lives by restoring, expanding, and innovating music education inside our schools. They have a network of thousands of K-12 through teachers all across 45 states that lead a national movement that brings innovative and inclusive music education to students. Check out littlekidsrock.org. That's littlekidsrock.org. They use genres like rock, pop, Latin, rap, and the programming empowers teachers to build music programs as diverse as the kids they serve. The students see themselves reflected in their classes, which strengthens their connection to their school, their peers, and their communities. Little Kids Rock also donates necessary instruments and curriculum, meeting a key need of many school music programs. The world of music expands through innovation. And Little Kids Rock ensures that music education does as well. More than 500,000 kids participate in Little Kids Rock programs nationwide. And since 2002, the organization has reached more than 850,000 students with highly inclusive and culturally relevant music education. Check out their website, donate, post it on your social, share it with your friends, host a fundraiser. You can be a Little Kids Rock teacher And if you're already a teacher, there are professional development workshops you can attend. Little Kids Rock will provide you with tools and resources to bring student-centered, culturally responsive, and inclusive music education to your kids. And there's also a special website they have that will teach you music, and it's really cool. And you can use it to teach kids in your life. It's called Jam Zone, and it's pretty damn cool. You pick a song and an instrument and learn how to play it without picking up an instrument. It's all online. You can learn to play your favorite instrument and your favorite songs. You can also learn how to write and record your own music. To get started, you can take a video tour and subscribe for updates. That's all at littlekidsrock.org. There's another organization I also recommend you check out called Musicians on Call. These folks are really amazing. They deliver the healing power of music. They bring live, in-room performances to patients undergoing treatment or unable to leave their beds. They bring in a little dose of joy into a healthcare facility. You can check out what they're doing all across the country to bring music to hospital patients, families, and caregivers. They bring volunteers to perform at the bedsides of patients. At each bedside performance program, a volunteer musician is escorted to the room in a healthcare facility by a volunteer guide or hospital staff member to perform at the bedside of patients or residents. It's a really simple process that brings miraculous change for patients. They've seen veterans move their injured limbs to the music. Children smile for the first time since they've been in a hospital to receive cancer treatment. The one-on-one interactions between musician and patient have a really powerful effect on restoring happiness that often can fade away in a healthcare facility. So check out their website at musiciansoncall.org. There's a lot of ways you can help. You can join the Backstage Pass Club. You can volunteer. You can become a program advocate. You can become a program champion. And of course, you can donate. My good friend, former IAVA colleague, and all-around awesome dude Pete Griffin is the president and CEO. I know him, I know his leadership, I know his team, and they're awesome. And his go-to karaoke song is Soul to Squeeze by Red Hot Chili Peppers. A great choice, great dude, great cause. Check out Musicians on Call. Nonprofits like these will change the lives of kids all across the country, and one of them just might be the next Mark Robert. Help us spread the love and spread the music. And if you've got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media and use the hashtag angry Americans and let us know. Don't just be angry, be active and turn up the music. Lots of applause and thanks and standing ovations to a few folks that make this episode happen. Critical people. First off, Mark Robert. He is an amazing artist, an amazing American, an amazing role model. And my deepest thanks to him, to his family, and all the guys in the band, especially to Benj and to my friend Bob Ferguson, who first put us in touch. OAR is about to kick off a fall tour. And if you're digging on this show, please go and check them out live and spread the word to your friends. Mark's doing some solo shows later this month, uh, starting in Nashville, Atlanta, and Cincinnati. Then he hooks up with the rest of the band, and they power into a whole tour. And they power into towns all across America. Go to liveoar.com or just Google OAR, and you'll find them. Find them on social, download some of their music, make them a favorite on Spotify. And they're also really good family music. So if you're in the house or you're driving in the car and you're looking for something to play, something the whole family can dig and sing and feel good about, check out OAR. So the Mighty OAR Tour, the Mighty OAR, will be touring all across America this fall. Some of the locations, Huntington, New York, out of Long Island, Montclair, New Jersey, Worcester, Mass., Portland, Maine, which I love, Niagara Falls, New York, Porchester, New York, St. Louis, Missouri, the Eagles Club. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin, just a cool place. Royal Oak in Michigan, uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and Atlantic City, New Jersey. I'm sure they're going to pop up in TV and other places, but if you're looking for a great first show to take your kids to, this might be it. And check out The Mighty, their newest album that came out in March. And also, go to angryamericans.us to see the video for Warsong. That's the one that I helped create with them a few years back. It's really powerful, and I think you'll like it. I also want to thank creative Chris Rosenthal, Roy Velchek, the Mighty Mercy Rich, and the whole Rockstar team at Righteous Media. They power this show and all the great content and platforms around it. Bill Schultz, you are the maestro. You are the chief of our orchestra, and you are producing this episode brilliantly. I want to thank you for your audio magic. Oscar Mike, our awesome merch partners. If you haven't already, check out the new designs at angryamericans.us now. I want to thank Peloton and Just King NYC. They are not a sponsor, but I love me the beautiful and torturous Peloton machine, and Coach Jess King, NYC. Believe the hype, people. I lost 30 pounds, and I just want to share that. Michael Blazer, uh, Justin Quattlebaum, a.k.a. JQ Bomb, uh, Sarah Paquette, a lot of my friends, you know what I'm talking about. But I just want to throw a thanks out to them and a congratulations on the IPO. And it's time for Thank a Listener. Every week, I'll thank a few angry Americans for listening, but before we do that, last week, I offered a new way for you to sound off, a new way to be part of this show and this Angry Americans movement. And if you missed it last week, we now have an Angry Americans phone line. You. Yes, you. You, over there. You can call in, tell us what's got you angry, and... I'll make you famous. Yep. I'll make you famous. Call 833-33-ANGRY. That's 833-33-ANGRY. That's 833-332-ANGRY. 6479. You can call, leave a voicemail, and tell me what's got you angry. And maybe we'll use it on a future show. And this week, it's our inaugural caller sounding off. Trump is cutting the national security staff.
1: That is oh so dangerous. Sounds like you need multiple people. Mad Malcolm Nance, Geist, Jason X have a multi-talk on what is going down. We need to protect our Constitution. Rock on, brother. Mike Tipton, Lawrence, Kansas. Hashtag Wolvie6797.
0: Bye. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Be like Mike. Call 833 angry That's 833 angry Call, leave me a voicemail. mail, tell me what's got you angry, and we might use it. More folks to thank. Jeff Feitner, location unknown. He tweets it. F-Y-T-E-R-E-Y. He's a husband, a father, and a proud Navy vet. He's also one half of R&R, the podcast. That's Round and Round, the podcast. They're two old Navy buddies who mock things and people, mostly themselves, and discuss world events. Uh, they're proud members of the Castworks HQ, which supports indie podcasts, and I support them as well. He said, yo, Paul Rykoff, your interview with the great Bradley Wifford was damn good. Every American should be angry, and listening to Angry Americans... Thank you, sir. I appreciate that very much. Go Army, beat Navy. Uh, next up, I want to thank Elizabeth Thorpe, who lives in Washington, D.C. She tweets at Elizabeth E. Thorpe. Her bio says she's somewhere between Beyonce and Pelosi. Hmm. The editor-in-chief of PYPO, a champion of PPFA, and Secretary of Defense Maria Ford on House of Cards. She's also the former editor-in-chief of Capital File magazine. So she actually plays Secretary of Defense Maria Ford in the House of Cards series finale. We talked a bit about House of Cards last week uh, in the episode with Bradley Whitford. She caught our last episode with Bradley Whitford, which everyone has been loving. If you haven't heard it, go back and check it out. If you did and you loved it, check out angryamericans.us to watch the video. There's some behind-the-scenes clips and videos you can share, and I am keeping open the Adventures in Babysitting License Plate Contest. Check it out. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. Check it out. Share it with the kids. It's all about the kids, always about the kids, always about family. So, speaking of which, big thanks to my family, my wife, and my two amazing boys. The baby is now seven months old. He is not sleeping, but he is almost talking and he's smiling like crazy. And if I've never shared it before, I have a parenting tip that I must share magnetic onesies. Yes, magnetic onesies. They exist. No buttons or snaps, they're magnets. So when you're crazy tired and changing a diaper at 3 a.m., magnetic onesies are worth every single penny. You're welcome. My four-year-old started martial arts this week, and he's doing great, getting some good discipline. And I always remember a line from my friend Nate Fick's great book, One Bullet Away. He wrote that his father once told him when he was joining the Marine Corps, I'm glad you're joining the Marine Corps because they can teach you things I love you too much to teach you. I feel that same way about my kid taking martial arts, but Ryder will no doubt be kicking my ass very soon, and hopefully he can protect me if need be from Rudy Giuliani. This week is also my five-year anniversary, so the most massive shout-out and thank you of all to my amazing wife, Lori. Five years have gone by in a flash, and our wedding seems like only yesterday, but I am more grateful, more in awe, more in love with you than ever before. No matter what happens, we're always in this together, and I've got your back, and I know you've got mine. And as always, nothing but love. And finally, nothing but love for you, my dear listeners. Thank you for tuning in. This land is your land,
1: and this land is my land. From California to the New York Island. The redwood Park.
0: please continue to tell your friends to your check this podcast out if you're on an apple device this leave the show a quick review look I know some of you haven't done it you're saying yeah I'll do it later do it right now do it do it and check out angryamericans.us you know the deal there keep the feedback coming on social media I see you I hear you I'm with you mark your calendars I am guest hosting for Chris Cuomo this Friday October 11th and Tuesday October 15th on Sirius XM POTUS channel 124 that's on the radio We're going to get into impeachment, Syria, an NFL weekend preview. I'll talk more about Rudy Butt Dial. That is a hashtag. Uh, So tune in to Cuomo's Let's Get After It, 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM, POTUS Channel 124. You can also go to the Sirius website and get a free trial. I think it's like three months if you go to the website and get a free trial. Listen to me on Friday and next Tuesday and in dates to come. Friday, I'm going to have Gail samak Lemon. As my guest, she is the author of the New York Times bestseller *Ashley's War* and *Dressmakers of Career Khan*. She is an adjunct fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, and she writes about entrepreneurship and conflict and post-conflict zones. She's covered politics for ABC in Afghanistan, Rwanda, Liberia, Bosnia, and has been all over. Of the conflict in Syria. She's going to join me to give me inside perspective on how Trump's abandonment of the Kurds is impacting real people on the ground in Syria and especially women. So I'm going to talk to Gail on Friday. Tune in for that. And on Tuesday, after the long weekend, I will be back on Sirius. That's the night of the next Democratic debate. We'll have a preview of the debate. And my guest will be Amy Walter, the national editor at the Cook Political Report. Uh, She's also the host of Politics with Amy Walter on The Takeaway. She's a cycling enthusiast and a lover of all things summer. We're going to get into the latest polling numbers on the candidates, on impeachment, and more. Uh, and we will definitely have a debate of the day. So tune in if you're a SiriusXM subscriber. If you're not, go to the website and get your free three month trial now. Next week, we will be back with a brand new episode and a new guest. And it's a big one. It's a really fun one. I'm excited about this one. One of our biggest names, one of our most fun names, someone who is deep in the mix stirring shit up and throwing punches at the president and just about everyone in politics and news on a weekly basis. She is amazing. That's all I'm going to tell you. Stay tuned to my social media to find out more and to guess the guest. Every night before the show, I post a secret picture and ask you to guess the guest. And if you win, you get a special prize. So subscribe now to Angry Americans and have it hot and fresh and waiting for you Thursday morning at zero dark 30. That's 0301 Eastern time just in time for your Thursday commute to work, or if you're up late on the West Coast, it's just after midnight. And until then, stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share, and we will keep this movement growing week by week.
2: We shall overcome. We shall overcome.
0: And remember, it's okay to be angry. And know you're not alone. We're all a little angry, and that's because we're paying attention. And together, we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact. I'm your host, Paul Reichhoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America, and keep the music playing.